we are only interested in working on projects that are universally accessible. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Enrico Bertini, I am a professor at NYU in New York and I do research in data visualization. And my name is Moritz Stefan and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations. And on this podcast we talk about data visualization, analysis and generally the role that data plays in our lives. And usually we do that together with a guest we invite on the show. But before we start, just a quick note. Uh, as you might know, our podcast is listener supported, there's no ads. Um, so if you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us. Uh, you can do that either with recurring payments on patreon.com slash data stories. So you can set up a little amount that you give us every time we publish a new episode. Or you can also send us one-time donations on paypal.me slash data stories. Hey, great. So let, let's get started with the topic of today. Um, it's going to be a very interesting new kind of episode, I would say. There is a little bit of a background story. We discovered a very interesting workshop called on map accessibility a few weeks ago. And we kind of like came up with the idea, oh, we never really discussed on the show the problem of how do you visualize information for people who are uh, visually impaired. Right. And um, yeah, it's such an important topic, right? And to talk about this topic, um, we have on the show Stephen Landau, who is the director of research of a very interesting company that is called Touch Graphics, where they uh, solve exactly this kind of problem, and they have a very interesting project. So uh, welcome, Stephen, on the show. We are very much looking forward to talking to you. Thank you very much. I'm excited to chat. Great. So um, can you give us a little bit of a background about you and, and Touch Graphics? Well, um, first to uh, introduce the idea of tactile graphics, it's important to understand that this is not a new concept, that um, teachers of the visually impaired have been using raised line and textured diagrams and three-dimensional manipulable uh, models to explain spatial concepts to their students who have uh, either no vision at all or partial vision. So this has been going on since the early 19th century. Probably the first organized um, school for the blind was in um, Boston um, called Perkins School, which is still in operation. And if you go to the library there, the archives, you can find amazing examples of objects that teachers from the 19th century produced for this purpose. So we are really standing on the shoulders of some of these innovators from, you know, hundreds of years ago. But uh, of course, um, the technology has improved uh, a great deal. And so our capabilities to represent more and more complex um, spatial representations has has also improved. So my background is as a, um, a designer. Mm -hmm. uh, about 20 years ago, I was contacted by a blind professor at Baruch College, which is part of City University of New York. This lady named Karen Gorgie, uh, who had been blind since birth, was embarked on a 
ambitious project to create tactile maps of the New York City subways. And this was in 1996, 97. So um, computers were available, uh, obviously, but um, some of the more recent um, uh, developments had not yet arrived. So she um, hired me to help them create a CAD CAM system for designing maps and fabricating maps of the New York City subway system. And that's really was my first project, which was a huge, um, a huge project, which was extremely um, frustrating and, and difficult just because the subways are so such an enormous, um, complicated maze. Yeah. And to try to explain that requires a kind of simplification, which, you know, has the danger of, of, of eliminating so much information and detail that it becomes useless. So we were struggling a lot with how to do this. And that process of struggle really helped me to um, develop my ideas about about this field, and and it and it led me to to realize how much um, promise there was uh, for these methods that had really been under underutilized. Yeah, that's that's great, and uh, it's surprising to me to notice how I mean we we are surrounded by by a world that is mostly visual and is getting more and more visual, and uh, we don't. I mean, in this podcast. In specifically, we talk about data visualization most of the time, and there is this problem of uh, how do you how do you actually visualize data for people who are visually impaired or or even just totally blind? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know. It blew my mind the idea, the fact that I didn't even ever thought about this problem before. Um, well, it's actually um, not a small audience, and it's actually yeah. growing very rapidly because mm. of the aging mm-hmm. population. So mm-hmm. these are things that we need to address. Sure. So can you uh, give us a few examples of things you have been working on, different sure. approaches you can take to make uh, literally information more yeah. uh, graspable? <laughs> okay. Well, I can tell you that the our primary... Um, kind of uh, innovation or, or, or our main focus is on the concept of multi-sensory communication. Mm-hmm. And what that really means is that we try to um, use auditory and tactile sensory channels to offload some of the information that is traditionally presented visually. Mm-hmm. And we found that by combining the senses like this, we can actually um, get pretty close to complete accessibility for many kinds of images. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine yourself um, with your eyes closed or wearing a blindfold and you are touching a surface that has a lot of lines and textures and dots on it, you would probably have no idea at all what you were touching uh, because it's just, you know, it just feels like lines and bumps and it has mm-hmm. no intelligence mm-hmm. to it. But as soon as you add another sense, you can very quickly begin to piece together the meaning of, of an image. So in this case, what we're doing is we're adding sound and we're mostly adding spoken information so that when you 
For example, if you have a map of a building and you have raised lines on the perimeter walls and the interior walls, and you have a texture uh, for the bathrooms, for example, mm. um, and you have little steps for the stairs, and these are all things that you can feel, then it's possible to place that graphic on a computer touchscreen and the touchscreen will then be able to determine where your finger is located by sensing directly through the paper or whatever the surface that you've uh, printed on. And then a computer can play back uh, descriptions and explanations of each each element of the drawing as you look at it. So it's mm -hmm. not the same thing as visual seeing because vision is so efficient mm. and it's so, um, it, it operates at a distance and it can take in an entire scene at once very quickly, but also sometimes very fleetingly and very superficially while touch combined with sound is a more of a linear process of developing a cognitive model of an image through methodic um, exploration and um, listening and touching. Mm -hmm. So you use more your fingers as a pointer to indicate what you're interested in right. rather so than as, as we, the, the primary so way to consume information. Exactly. And, mm -hmm. and it really... Um, it's a really a gestural language. Mm -hmm. So there's two primary gestures. We've, we've determined this through a lot of um, actually um, observing blind people as they're using these uh, materials. And we noticed that the two signature gestures that the skillful tactile graphics users deploy or employ is Two-hand touch with all 10 fingers touching, that's, mm -hmm. a, that's an exploratory gesture. Mm. And okay. usually during that, you don't want to have any um, audio at all. You want it to go completely silent. Right. So yeah. we, with modern multi-touch screens, we, can, we know when more than one finger is touching at any time, and we just right. tell the system, don't speak. Because they need to be able to explore in quiet. And then when they tap with a single finger, mm -hmm. it's onto a particular line or region, then they get the auditory feedback. Mm -hmm. So we had to develop a system that, that mimicked the natural um, tendencies of tactile exploration uh, in order to um, achieve the best um, uh, comprehension. And so, you know, with the new touchscreens that are available now, um, we can do that really easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. So, and also what, what seems intuitive in this context, you know, might be totally different uh, <laughs> than what, what uh, uh, you might perceive as intuitive in other contexts. So I think that's, that's very fascinating. Um, You just said, okay, we cannot just simply map one-to-one -one visuals to haptic experience and expect the same results. Can you give us a bit of, like, tell us a bit more about the specifics of the the haptic uh, channel, let's say, as opposed to visual graphics? Um, so uh, what would you say is pretty much the same and what are the main differences? Mm. 
how I do, how does resolution compare for instance or can you do the same you do with color with textures or or is you know like how how can we imagine like the design space in in that area yeah it's a great question you know um as designers we have to be continuously um thinking about the limitations of tactile perception, but also it's amazing powers. Right. So, yeah. um, for example, um, you mentioned the, the question of mapping colors to textures. Well, we don't, uh, we don't tend to do that very much. First of all, because, um, vision can distinguish between, you know, hundreds of different colors. In fact, probably millions, right. yeah. but, yeah. uh, in tactile perception, um, you have to be more judicious about the, um, the number of different textures that you use. So we try to limit it depending on the sophistication of the audience. We only use either two or three different textures. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. because we really find that, that it becomes just a cognitive load problem if you expect people to memorize the meaning of more than three textures it becomes um harder to do um and the same goes for line types we can do a smooth line we can do a rough line Mm -hmm. We can do um, all line, all types of lines in between. We can do directional lines that feel that feel smooth in one direction and rough in another direction. Ah, yeah. There's many nice. things yeah. that we can that we can do. So you have directionality, basically. Exactly. Right. You can. Um, you know. Uh, you could also again, have like a fur. You know. A fur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I That's mean, true. I mean, yeah. we're 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 experimenting with things like that. You know, fur is is a particularly uh, challenging one, um, uh, but we because we have to manufacture these things, <laughs> so um, we have printers that can print. Tactile graphics. We don't have a printer that can print fur at this point, <laughs> yeah. but um, that would be certainly that would be pretty uh, cool. Though <laughs> I mean, we're right now we're we're, we're making a series of um, zoological uh, representations for for a museum, and we're working on vampire bats. And vampire bats have furry little bodies, mm. and then sort mm -hmm. of very thin, papery <laughs> wings uh, of skin without any fur on them. So the challenge was, how do we you know, distinguish those two surfaces and, you know, it's easy to make something that feels smooth, but it's not easy to make something that feels like fur if you're making it <laughs> out of plastic. Um, so, you know, that's a challenge. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting. Yeah. Because it points to these really unique qualities that, that touch can bring. And uh, yeah. also for seeing folks, obviously, I think a lot of our information interaction could be much more haptic and actually tactile. Um, <laughs> Right. Well, you know, that brings up an important point, which is that, you know, we are only interested in working on projects that are universally accessible. So mm, yeah. uh, we don't like to make things that are um, specific to an audience of, let's say, totally blind people, because mm. for one thing, that's um, that's a very small market and we're a mm -hmm. business. So we're looking sure. for um, larger uh, audiences, but also because we don't like the idea that something that is completely tactile without any visual information that becomes very um, uh, sort of isolating because they, a person who's visually blind who can read that couldn't, let's say, share it with their sighted parent or child or teacher because 
sighted people can't understand that sure. they can't yeah. they can't feel it and they can't make sense of it because they just haven't ever uh, been challenged with that and by the way having vision really interferes with your tactile ability uh, so mm-hmm. it's only when you put on a blindfold that mm. you can learn um for example to read braille uh, no sighted people can learn braille it's okay. it's mm. it, i don't think there's even one <laughs> example Wow. Uh, yeah. And that makes it very difficult because then Braille becomes something utterly other and really, um, you know, sort of st- not stigmatizing, but maybe ghettoizing. Mm. And so we prefer making materials that have visual printing on them also and lots of color and photographs and images because we want to make mutual experiences that yeah, everyone that's great. Can, yeah. can have, yeah. Yeah. especially in museums because museums are public spaces and they have a mandate to, um, to service everyone in, in the community, but not, but they don't have the budget or the inclination to make separate, you know, uh, versions of everything for each mm-hmm. audience. They want one exhibit that everyone uses. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Can we maybe talk about some specific projects? Can you sure. describe some of yeah, some specific ones? Well, um, so right now uh, I'm I'm in the Google New York City headquarters mm-hmm. uh, in Manhattan, where we just installed 45 interactive floor plans on the walls throughout this facility, and we're actually now working on the new Google. Uh, in um, the, the uh, Spruce Goose um, uh, facility in Los Angeles, their new headquarters that they're building mm. there now, we're installing a similar a similar network of of interactive wall maps. So these are tactile maps that are visual. They're mounted on uh, pedestals all over the campus. And they are the main maps for the facility that everybody uses. They just happen to have this extra feature, which is that you can feel them. And when you touch them, they speak and they light up. So Mm -hmm. for most people at Google, they don't even really notice that it's a special kind of a map. It just looks like a pretty backlit, you know, um, Mm. attractive a piece on the wall and they come up to it and they look at it. That doesn't occur to them. They can touch it. Uh, but if they did, it would, it would speak. So that's one kind of uh, a project that we're, we're doing. And that's really focused on orientation and wayfinding mm. in public spaces. Um, so, so, but in addition to maps, we're also working on all kinds of exhibits. So for example, um, we are just got a project at the Smithsonian, mm. at the Sackler and Freer Museum, which is the Asian art uh, museum at the in Washington. And they have this uh, object called the Cosmic Buddha, which is a very important um, sculpture that shows a figure wearing a, a robe. And it has it's just covered with the most exquisite um, illustrations that are carved into the surface of this um, garment, and it's really like a diagram of the of Buddhist cosmology, and it's considered one of the one of the masterpieces of the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. So they um, recently did a lot of work to um, digitally scan this object, and in doing that, they were able to. Um, 
to uh, study the, the carvings and boost up their visual contrast so that they could really see them better. So what they've asked us to do now is to make a 3D printed replica of the Cosmic Buddha, which will be touch responsive. And they're going oh, to put that yeah. into the museum, uh, not, not, not in the same room as the object, because they're very picky about Mm-hmm. about mm. making it clear that this is a, this is not an, a real artifact this is uh, a replica so um, right, there's right. a whole question of authenticity in museums is very important but it's going to be in a nearby um, lobby so that anybody can come up to this and they can touch these this this 3d printed surface and as they're touching these different vignettes and these different scenes from the life of the buddha a screen next to them will light up with close-up um, images of the thing that they're touching, and then they'll be hearing uh, descriptions of each one of these um, episodes. So, you know, uh, that's a way to represent um, an artifact uh, through these methods where we're combining touch, hearing, and vision all in the same uh, exhibit element. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. exciting. I mean, then everything can become an interface, basically. You know, that you can take into your hands, like a garment or a sculpture. I think that's a very exciting way way to think about things. Like, technically, is it hard, like, on an arbitrary sculpture to detect where it has been touched? So I, I understand there's touch, like, panel overlays for flat um, surfaces. But right. let's say you have an arbitrary like sculpture. Is it is it easy or is it like doable at all to detect where exactly you know, somebody it's touches funny. a sculpture? Um, it's a really it's a really good question, and um, you know that is probably our 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 main technical challenge right. is how to harvest touches on a three D arbitrary surface mm. that where we can't use a, a commodity touchscreen, which has to be flat. Right. So we're experimenting with lots of different ways to do that. Um, some of them are easier than others. Uh, one very easy way to do it is to three D print in plastic or any non-conductive material and then paint over that with a carbon rich conductive coating okay to hmm. to to create zones on the surface of the model and then we can either run wires internally mm-hmm. to each one of those zones and then gather up those wires and 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 have them exit the sculpture let's say in the in the feet where it's mounted on the pedestal and then we can connect each one of those wires to a sensor Mm -hmm. and the sensor can determine when the touch has occurred and on which region that's a that's a a very um let's say um labor intensive and (laughs) error prone method sounds like yeah (laughs) yeah and you can end up with you know hundreds of wires um, and giant cable harnesses. And it's, it's right. the old way that we, that we used to do it. Nowadays, um, we're, we're studying how to use commodity touch screens for this purpose. Mm-hmm. So it's, so if you're familiar with the function of, of touch screens, the drivers have, um, rejection 
algorithms that are trying to distinguish what's a finger from what's Ooh. something else. So if you right. take like the point of a knife and touch it to your touchscreen, even if you're holding that with your hand, it won't register a touch. But if the, if you touch it with, let's say something that's about five millimeters in diameter, then it will register a touch. So it's possible to um, fool the driver by painting a dot of conductive paint onto a, an, a plastic object and then placing that object against the touchscreen. So okay. if you imagine this cosmic Buddha and you have all these painted zones and you run little stripes of paint down from each zone to the base and you create little five millimeter circles of conductive paint on the bottom of the base and you place <laughs> that whole thing on a touchscreen. Now, wow. every time you touch, let's say the, the head or the left ear, yeah. the touchscreen sees a finger touching it in a particular location. Right, right. Yeah. And we can, we can program that. So, so that is, that is the promising new method for, for doing this. And we see this because touchscreens have become so cheap. I mean, you can buy a fire tablet for, you know, an Amazon fire tablet mm. uh, for about $40. And right. if you can, um, you can turn that into a, a multi-channel touch sensor. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I'm just curious, I'm, I'm wondering now listening to you, if there is anything like a general purpose device where you can provide different types of um, haptic or sensory output signal. Yeah, output or signal. So there are a couple of things, but none of them are really that good. So uh, I'm thinking of refreshable tactile displays that have been created that use um, uh, piezoelectric um, uh, pins mm -hmm. that move up mm. and down. So you've probably seen mm. refreshable braille displays. Mm. These are devices that represent a single line of braille um, using um, braille cells that, that have six tiny pins that move up and down under computer control. And uh, people have tried to create matrices of these Braille cells. So let's say, you know, 20 rows and 20 columns of these mm -hmm. six-dot devices. And you can create a matrix that way. And you can move and manipulate the pins in real time to create very simple diagrams. So this is being done now. They're very expensive. They're very fragile, typically. Mm -hmm. And they also are very low resolution because if you can imagine, oh, yeah. if, if you were trying to um, see uh, a shape, let's say someone had, you could, you could show a square pretty easily because, you know, the, the pins are all in <laughs> neat rows and columns. So you yeah. can show a square. But as soon as you tried to show even a circle, it would, mm. it would fall apart because now it's a very jagged line. You can't really represent curves very well. Mm. And, um, you know, so we don't, we don't use those devices in our, in our work because we are trying to create the most precise tactile 
information possible. And so mm-hmm. we have other methods that work much better. But of course, we don't have the luxury of simply, you know, refreshing the our display and having a new picture appear. Our pictures are static and they always stay the same because they're basically printed on paper or plastic. Mm. Mm-hmm. So we don't we don't move them around as much. So that's, that's a shortcoming of our, of our method. Yeah. So I guess that part of the problem in designing these systems is also figuring out what doesn't require too much learning before, before people can use it effectively. Yeah, that's, that's really true. I mean, I guess that's, that's the case in all design, but you know, we really are um, very focused on the idea of intuitive um, use because uh, it's it's a lot harder for our users to you know to go and Google the instructions or or you know something like that. So we really um, rely on user usability testing to mm. observe people, and we try to um, to to guess or to uh, you know predict the uh, the kinds of 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 features that will you know um, improve their ability to to learn without a lot of explanation so whatever whatever kind of is the first thing that you would try we try to make that have a meaningful uh, result okay and um, so there is just one last thing I wanted to ask you so many of our listeners are people who love doing data visualizations and uh, experimenting with new projects. So let's say if there is anyone who wants to try making any of their new visualizations more accessible, what would you suggest? Where, what's the simplest, I would say, if there is anything simple to do? Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that people can try out? And it doesn't require too much of an initial investment, let's say. Mm-hmm. Well, I would, I would recommend that people really... Um, you know, use alt tags and try to um, try to put as much uh, a des- description into uh, their their designs, so that uh, it's possible to query uh, the image to f- hear what things are, and um, you know, to make these descriptions um, as helpful as as possible with the ex- with the understanding that some people are not going to be able to see um, mm. the screen. So as long as you're aware of that and you're uh, trying to accommodate those people, then, um, you know, your, your, your designs will improve as far as adding haptics or tactile uh, information. That's something that really is not easy for, uh, for someone to just pick up and do because it does require, um, you know, some craft techniques in order to, to make the, the tactile um, representations. So we, you know, we're, we have a lot of machines to do that. A lot of 3d printers and other kinds of printers and embossing machines and CNCing and things like that. It's a, it's a really a, a bit of a, of a maker, thing. And, um, you know, it's probably unrealistic to expect, you know, average developers to, to implement that. But I think one thing that everybody can do is to, is to focus a lot on, on description because that really is, is the key. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And I mean, text is just such a good universal <laughs> medium, <laughs> which is so powerful. The yeah. other thing that uh, works quite well in data visualization as well is also, and you touched on that before, is this idea of redundant encoding. So mm -hmm. basically saying the same thing twice or three times <laughs> yes. through different means, right? And it actually makes things actually more interesting also to, to any audience or, you know, you can make a much more pointed design if you do that. And if somebody's missing one channel, like color vision, for instance, or um, something like this, then uh, they still have a chance to get the gist uh, through other means. And I think that's that's a, another really simple trick um, is to use for the most important stuff a redundant um, technique. Or as you said, have a chart, but also a text <laughs> driving yeah. the main point home. You know, it's, yes, uh, it's so yes. simple to do and helps everybody to 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 get immediately what what you want to say. Hey, the problem is that most engineers uh, just are not focused as uh, enough on diverse user populations, and they, right, they, right. they just look at themselves and think, well, this would work for me, so it's mm. good. And that's something that people have to be confronted with, because these days, I think that that's no longer a good a good way to design. Absolutely. And I think um, our episode here shows uh, how much inspiration you can also draw from <laughs> these, you know, challenges and, and how mm -hmm. much interesting new work you can produce just also working with these limitations. And so thanks so much for joining us, Stephen. This was great. I'm super inspired now. I want to do like all touchable <laughs> sculptures yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. And yeah. looking forward to seeing uh, more of your work online. Well, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is now completely crowdfunded. So you can support us by going on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash data stories. And if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. And here's also some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're, of course, on Twitter at twitter.com slash data stories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash data stories podcast, all in one word. And we also have a Slack channel. Uh, where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and there is a button at the bottom of the page. And we also have an email newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and look for the link you find at the bottom in the footer. So one last thing we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And don't hesitate to get in touch with us. It's always a great thing for to hear from you. So see you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories.